1: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Epistle of 1 John. That's where we are today. We're going to, we're in a series moving through all of John's epistles today. 1 John chapter 4 is where we will be located. We'll move through most of that chapter uh, this morning as we study God's Word. 1 John chapter 4, here's the key concept for this morning as you find that God is love, you who love Him back are safe. Love Him back. John chapter 4 is where we will locate in Scripture today, but I want to share with you a surprising statistic that was reported by the Reuters News Agency in 2003. Actually, what they were talking about was a statistic that was uncovered in the 2001 census that happened in Great Britain. When asked about their religious affiliation in that census… More than 390,000 people wrote in the word Jedi. <laughs> you know who a Jedi is? Jedi is a, a fictional character in Star Wars movies, and, and uh, that's more people wrote down Jedi than Jewish. And so the Office of National Statistics wanted to know how could this happen? How could more than 390,000 people? think that they were part of a fictional religion, and so they looked into it. And what they discovered was this. There was an online movement that actually, I guess, caught the attention of Star Wars fans throughout Great Britain. It was on social media, and the the rumor that was being spread was this. If more than 10,000 people write in the word Jedi, then the government will be forced to recognize the Jedi as an official government-sanctioned religion. But that is wrong on many levels. Level number one, they don't have to recognize that religion. Level number number two, it doesn't exist. This is a fictional thing from the movies. So how could it happen? How could it be that so many people are, are influenced by this? It shows us how gullible we are. And we are easily influenced with falsehood. Now, what we're going to see in John chapter 4 today is John cares about that exact thing because the people that he's writing to, and by extension to us, the people that he's writing to are coming under the influence of a false teaching. He doesn't want them to be gullible. He doesn't want them to be easily convinced of a falsehood. Don't be easily dazzled. Don't think that everything that looks impressive or is popular is necessarily true. He warns them and us, and He does it this way. Read with me verse 1, chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you see. Things that might seem impressive, even miraculous, can be counterfeit and false. False prophets are out there motivated by Satan and his forces. Test the spirits because Satan is a liar. And what he wants to do is he wants to make what is good look, what is bad look good. He says it in 2 Corinthians this way. The Apostle Paul writes, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising, then, if His servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. So test the spirits to see if what is being said is that which is genuine, meaning is that comes from God or it comes from someone else, some other source. But of course, a verse like that that says to us, test the spirit," spirits, raises the next question. And the next question is, how do we do that? How do we test the spirits? What what does that mean? How can we obey? And John goes on to explain, and the first thing he's going to say is this. I want you to test the content of their teaching because content matters. Truth matters. Everything you hear is not created equal, even if it is presented in a slick fashion. There are things that are out there that are error. Recently, I was... Uh, reading about a college professor. He is a professor who teaches an introduction to Christianity in a a university. It's not a Christian university. It's a secular university, but this course is an option for students, and it's an introduction to the Christian religion. And he always starts his class every semester the same exact way. He brings a jar of jelly beans in front of the class, and he asks the class to take out a paper and guess how many jelly beans are in this jar. Okay? So they, they take a guess. And then, and then on the next line, they, he asks them, I want you to write down the name of your favorite song. And then they kind of, uh, they compare answers, and the person who's closest to the number of jelly beans in the jar gets a prize. And then they share the name of their favorite song around the class, and he asks this question as they share. Who is right? And of course, just like you, the students think, well, there's no right about a favorite song. It's this is my preference. It's what I like. It's, this, this is my opinion in terms of my favorite song. So then he asks the final question, and the final question is this. Regarding faith, is it more like deciding the number of jelly beans in the jar or more like choosing your favorite song? In other words, are we talking about facts here, or are we talking about preference? Are we talking about truth, or are we talking about your opinion? And what he's done over the years is track the way that the classes answer that question. And what he's found is that in a growing and increasing way, more and more, the answer is faith is more like choosing your favorite song. Faith is more like just a preference. It's whatever you like. It's not necessarily needing to be based on truth. 2016, the Oxford, the the company that puts out the Oxford Dictionary, every year they choose a word of the year, okay? In 2016, the word they chose was two words, actually. It was post-truth. They recorded that in that Time period, the use of the phrase post truth increased 2,000%. And this is how they defined it a situation where facts are less influential than emotions or preference. Facts less influential. This is what our society is teaching in terms of the way that we'd come to faith. It doesn't really matter if it's true. It matters if you like it. That is the wrong answer. Truth matters. Objective truth. True truth. The spiritual reality, the truth of God is recorded in His Word. John is going to tell us, test for the content of the teaching. That's the first way you test the spirits. Let's read on, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Test for truth, and the first test, test for truth about Jesus Christ about the Incarnation. The fact is that the truth of Christianity rests on the truthfulness of Jesus and what we can know about Him. Now, some people say, it really doesn't matter, you know, kind of what I'm believing as long as I'm a person of faith. It doesn't really kind of, kind of make a difference, and, and that is the, the drift of our day. And what happens is all around us, we have a lot of people who are placing their faith in faith rather than their faith in Christ. But the Bible says the object of your faith is what matters. The Bible presents itself as both a historical document and a theological religious book. And the, the, those who wrote the Gospels of Jesus, when they wrote those Gospels, those the contemporaries of Christ were still alive. They, they could tell whether that was false or whether it was true, and they saw it to be true. Jesus of Nazareth was both God and man on a mission to reconcile sinful humanity to the Creator God who loves us. And this is the most vital reference point. When you see a teaching straying from what the Bible says about who Jesus was and what He has done for us, that's where we need to watch out because we have a tendency to be gullible. We have a tendency to want to believe certain things, and sometimes... We simply listen for catchphrases or listen for key words, the religious-sounding words. And the the issue is not, do people say the right words? The issue is, do they mean the right things by the words that they use? There's a lot of teachings around us that they, they have a similar vocabulary as Christianity, but they have a different dictionary. The words mean different things. In a situation that John is facing, don't forget, he's writing against a particular heresy. And the particular heresy today we'll call pre-Gnosticism. And it wasn't that these pre-Gnostics didn't use the word Jesus. They did. But when they used the word, the name, they meant something very different. So the test is, is Jesus Christ the eternal God, the Son who came in human flesh Was He fully God and fully divine in this miracle called the Incarnation? Did He take on Himself the punishment for our sin? Did He rise from the dead? Does He live today so that I can be saved if I trust His work? That's the test. And those who deny or diminish this in favor of some other form of salvation or methodology, that's not the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of Antichrist. Test the spirits. Test for content. Test for truth. And secondly test for love. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God shows His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's something that can be said over every person who's ever lived in every land, in every continent, in any language group you are a person loved by God. You are a person loved by God. It applies to everyone. However, for those who respond to that love, who turn to Him in faith and choose to love Him back, that truth moves from a general principle to a specific identity. I am a person loved by God. It means I'm in the family of God. I'm being recreated from the inside out, and I have now a new identity and a primary allegiance, and it is to the God who loves me because He is love. God is love is one of the most abused phrases lifted from the Bible, misused all around us, lifted right from this passage to use to teach the opposite of what this passage is teaching and the opposite of what John's letter says. Possibly you've heard, heard it used this way. It goes like this, God is love, therefore I can't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. John is saying He is. God is love, therefore I'm sure He would want me to be happy. And what makes me happy is to dump my wife or dump my husband or have sex with my lover or embezzle from my employer. These are the things that make me happy. And God is love. But let's be clear about the message. It's not God is love, so feel free to believe and do whatever you want. It is when you believe what God says about Himself, you understand that He loves you. And is in his essence love. When you turn and choose to love him back, he lives in you. And, you re- and all of a sudden, you begin to understand that what he asks us to do and the way he asks us to obey is a loving act. His, his love shows us the way because he knows what's best and he loves us best. And obedience turns into a blessing because God is love. And there are results to all of this. When, when we say yes to this love, there are results. And the first result is, since God is love, and we who love Him back are safe. Look at verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. But You are safe. You are safe in Him because He loves you. I read an article some time ago called How to Be Safe. I've shared some of these statistics with you before, but it kind of still gets my attention. Here's how to be safe. Avoid riding in automobiles. 20% of all fatal accidents happen in cars. How did you get here today? How to be safe? Avoid staying home. 17% of all fatal accidents occur at home. By all means, avoid going to the hospital. 33% of all deaths occur in the hospital. So by now you're wondering, well, how can we be safe? Where are we safe? Point Zero, zero, one percent of all deaths, that's one one one-thousandth of one percent of deaths occur at church. (laughs) By all means, for your own safety, keep coming to church. That's the message. But just coming in and out of church doesn't make you ultimately safe. There's more to it than that. It is recognizing that I am loved by God and I can be forgiven forever and turning to Him in faith, and that means I am safe right here, right now. God is love, so you are safe. But there's more. God is love, so you are safe. When you love Him back, you need not fear. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. We are people of hope, hope for the future. We are people of confidence for the future, even the future beyond this life. Judgment is real, but we don't those of us who love the Lord, we don't fear judgment, because we have confidence there. Hebrews 9:27 says, "Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment." For those who have no hope, that judgment is going to be condemnation. But for those of us who are people of a hope, people of hope, we see the future without fear. This reality of that coming future life should cause two emotions in our heart and our mind. Number one, great anxiety and sadness for those who don't know the love of God. And then a blessed confidence for those of us who do, confidence that... Even though there is judgment, there is not condemnation. Listen to Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's John's thought process. When you believe in Jesus, you rely on the love of God in your life, verse 16. And the love of God makes you more like Jesus, more loving, and gives you confidence for the future, verse 17, and drives out fear from our lives, verse 18. God is love. You are safe. You need not fear And then there's the last statement. He has loved you first. He loves you first. Verse 19. We love because He first loved us. I like to put it this way. God has already made the awkward advance of love. Do you remember dating? Maybe some of you are dating right now. you remember that time when you were interested in a person but you weren't sure if they were interested in you. How did you make that advance? You remember wrestling with that? I mean, I, I want to tell her that I'm interested, but, you know, I don't want her to run screaming out of the room. I, I don't want her to look at me funny. How, how do I do that? It's, it's an unsettling and awkward time. Maybe some of us so, say to a friend, hey, ask her if she likes me. You remember that? And your friend comes back and says, yes, she likes you, but she likes me more now. Got to cut out the middleman, right? But that, it is an awkward moment. And the point of it is Jesus has made the advance. He tells us He loves us. And we are meant to simply love Him back. That's what the Christian life is about. It's a journey of learning to love Him back, showing in the way that we live that we are loved and we love Him back. And the way that we show Him is to obey Him and to love others. Look at verse 21. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Obey him and love others. John has learned that he is wonderfully loved. And you know, I think that that came crystal clear to him 60 years before he wrote these words. Because 60 years before he wrote these words, he was in that upper room with Jesus And Jesus held the the cup and the bread just like we had, and Jesus was telling them, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to suffer a lot, but I'm going to suffer because I already love you that much. Sixty years later, this old man, the Apostle John, has that truth branded onto his brain. Before I deserve it, before I even wanted it, nothing to do with it, but yet Jesus already loves me. So I can face any experience without fear. I can face death without fear. Because I am loved. I love Him back. And I am safe. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You that You love us that much. Thank You that there's nothing we can do to make You love us less. There's nothing we can do to make You love us more. It's just how it is. And Lord, we pray that we would be living out our identity as loved people. Help us to obey and to see that your call to righteousness is a loving thing. And help us to love one another. May our ability to fellowship and to grow and to bless and to encourage one another be a magnet for the world to ask about Jesus. And to find you, Lord. Help us do that. Thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here today and there is an issue in your life for which you need prayer. I invite you in a moment to slip down by the prayer table next to the organ. There will be prayer counselors there. Maybe it is to come to know this Jesus who loves you so much. They will introduce you to their Savior and Lord. You slip forward. But before we do that, we're going to stand together and pray the benediction. And before we do that, I want to sing a song. And I'd like you to sing with me if that's at all possible, okay? It's just the chorus to the old hymn, The Love of God. So this may be new to some of you. It goes like this. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Okay, that's not too hard. You're gonna get it the second time. Ready. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Thank you, Lord, that in glory the angels are rejoicing in your love. Help us to live in the light of your love. In the week ahead, we pray that... We would say the words and do the actions that demonstrate that you love us and we love you back. Help us do that, we pray. Dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.